Welcome to Comfortable Place on the Couch, a short-run podcast exploring every Midnight Oil album in the year of their Great Circle Tour. My name is Darren Folds, and in the year of 2017, I've been spinning every Midnight Oil studio album from my comfortable couch, as well as taking a listen to some of their EPs, live recordings, and video releases. Joining me each episode has been my longtime friend and fellow Midnight Oil enthusiast, Robin Harbin. Greetings to you tonight, Mr. Harbin. It is winter in Canada. Boy, is it ever winter time. I drove through, what was it, minus 15, minus 20 out there, and here I am. And what did you want to talk about? You started talking about ice cream. Well, you know, it's that time of year where the special Christmas ice cream comes out. Because you really feel like some ice cream to cool you down. Well, you want the ice cream with the candy cane chunks and chocolate in it. That's what I want. Oh, has it got candy cane chunks and chocolate? It's almost like chocolate-covered candy cane bits. Oh, I thought it was just... Because I, I thought I had this kind of ice cream before, and it's just like shards of yeah. candy cane yes you know normally ice cream is like this nice smooth thing you eat but instead it has these pokey bits sharp pokey yeah stabby in the gums get stuck in your throat yeah it's like we had a bit of a reprieve from winter well october was really cold yes and november was strangely warm yeah and then this past week we got hit with winter big time yeah Last Tuesday, I got sent home from work. Yeah, it was the storm. It was. There the was, storm of the month. There were, it, they were actually calling for thunderstorms Monday night. Yeah. And we got lots of rain, and then it froze on all the wires, and then it snowed big time on it. And then the power then went out. the wind started blowing, and it started knocking down power everywhere. Yeah. Yep. The university got shut down. I got sent home, and I was able to finish reading Capricornia. Just in time. See, that's how this is on topic. And I just plowed through the rest of the book last week. I think I finished like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Maybe I finished it Friday morning, maybe Thursday night. Yeah. Yep. I read a lot of it in a short amount of time. And that's where it totally sucked me in. That worked well for me. Well done. Mm-hmm. So we are planning on doing the Capricornia book review. The book club. Yep. Book club. But we'll do that. We're going to do that this episode but in the second half of the episode. That's right. So today we're not going to talk about any Midnight Oil songs, particularly, like not one by one. Right. But we're going to talk about the album as a whole, some history. Yep. The band. Yep. Oh, we just passed the 15th anniversary of Pete quitting the band. That's right. That just happened December 2nd, 2002. That's right. So we're just a week past. We missed... We missed the anniversary by a little bit, but... We'll talk about our experience, perhaps, uh, with the Capricornia Tour. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then it'll be Book Club. And we'll warn you, if yeah. you're not into it... That's fine. You can pick up in... The next episode. Part two, when we start talking about the actual songs. Hey, Robin. Yeah. Do you have any business as usual? Oh, I think there's tons of business as usual. I think there is a little bit, but yeah, I did not been, do a good job of... I've been really slack... It. Okay, our good friend Andrew Shakespeare told us some stuff about the Capitol. One interesting thing is that the Capitol DVD, the video we're watching, Powderworks, they actually cut the solos right out of the live performance. We don't even notice it. Yeah. But it's actually like a six-minute song that gets chopped down to, what, three or four minutes on the DVD. Yeah. But on the Scream and Blue album, it's, Much longer. it appears to be there in full. Yep. Although there's some controversy, Andrew seems to remember a shorter version. I'm wondering if that's on the Scream and Blue cassette, which I can't find currently. Mm. I found the case for it, but I don't know what happened to my Scream and Blue cassette. Hmm. Another interesting thing, I saw it probably like Chico or one of those guys, uh, was talking about how when they converted from film to DVD, there's a funny thing that happens because film is at 24 frames a second. So you can double that to 48 frames a second. But PAL actually, PAL television, runs at 50 frames per second. And NTSC, that's North American DVDs, Mm -hmm run at 60 frames per second, 
So you're going to kind of lose... Something's got to change. Yep. When you convert from film to video. Yes. And apparently they chose to speed up Powderworks or the whole album, the whole concert. Right. By the 4% or something. Okay. So you know how we thought the oils were playing really fast? Yeah. They were artificially sped up on the DVD. Very interesting. Yeah. Now, our friends Lachlan and James, Carl, virtually everybody uh, wanted to point out that there are many, many Midnight Oil albums that are titled after songs. Yes. Albums such as Screamin' Blue Live, Earth and Sun and Moon, Redneck Wonderland, The Real Thing, and Capricornia. Yeah, it's kind of like... They did it for all their later albums. And we were just too dumb. And we were really dumb that night. But we can still take a little bit of solace in the idea that they didn't do that at all for their first six, seven albums, including the EPs. I think it's seven or eight. And then suddenly they started doing that. Then Earth, Sun, and Moon, they totally started using song names as album names. If you're hearing some nice kitchen noises... Yep. My wife is doing Christmas baking upstairs. Is she going to bring some down for us? I hope so. Congrats to your good friend, Lachlan. Yeah. Lachlan got the copy of Breathe that was on Discogs at a relatively reasonable price. Yeah. Not one of these 100, 150 euro versions. Yeah. So that completes his collection of all... Vinyl, original, original vinyl, vinyl yep. releases, yeah. Yeah, that's a, that was a really nice score. Congratulations, Lachlan, on that. Yeah, Remember, so, play it loud. Sort of on topic, I got the Midnight Oil vinyl box set, mm-hmm. and the release of Capricornia in it mm-hmm. doesn't include the lyrics. Ripped off. I'm, I'm showing you the CD. Yeah. But you didn't actually have to take it from me. No, I just want to look at the cow eyes. But yeah, it... Like, the CD release includes all the lyrics, but when they did this final re-release, or new first-time release... Yes. No lyrics in there. What's the deal? Speaking of not spending stupid money... Yeah. Less than $25 Canadian tax in and shipping, the Big Yellow Midnight Oil book is coming my way. I don't have to borrow yours anymore. I spent much more than that. Okay, let me take a look at the Twitters. That Wellington guy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mark, he was reminding us about when Giffo joined the Oils on stage. Finally, a random real thing fact. Did you know Giffo played the encores on the two Byron Bay gigs during the album tour for the real thing? Nice. So he came out for the encores. Wellington also reminded us about Jim temporarily leaving the band. Oh, yeah, yeah. Speaking of... so. We've actually been really bad about not reading from Mark Dodson's book lately. lately. And apparently we missed a, a real thing. Significant. A significant thing that Jim was so unhappy about the real thing that he quit the band and then came back. I wonder how long he quit for. Yeah. Like, was it for an afternoon? Was it for... Because, like, everybody quit the band during the Breathe sessions, right? For a while. <laughs> it seemed like it. Yeah. Nearly, including the producer who wasn't in the band. So maybe Jim doesn't love the real thing as much as we thought. So does that call into question the authenticity of the real thing as a oils? That would be some kind of revisionism, though, because, I mean, they did do a real thing tour. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So they produced the album. Jim did write the song, the new songs that went on there. Yeah, sure. And it. It actually is a really good disc. It's a nice collection of songs. I like it a lot. That's enough business, not business arising. What do you call it now? Business as usual. Business as usual. Capricornia 2002. Warren Livesey and the boys getting back together for another album. Was it one last album? Were they thinking it was one last album? Was it just the next album? Yeah, they're, certainly they seem to be aware of, of Pete's. The, the band knew that Pete was really thinking about moving on. And there was kind of a hope. This is from Mark Dodson's book. The band knew that Pete's urges to move on to other things were getting stronger, but there's no telling what a hugely successful album on the scale of Diesel or Blue Sky Mining 
might do to that his resolve. There was a general feeling that even if Pete did increasingly stray into other opportunities, the band could still continue as a recording and touring entity, albeit on a more modest and irregular scale. So apparently there was a sense that... This could be it. This could be it, but... Or at least things are probably going to change after this album. Even if it's not breaking up the band, things are going to be scaling back after this. Yeah, that's right. But let's, let's give it one more kick. And presumably that was a reason why they went with Warren again. Yep. Hey, the hit maker. Warren made our big hits. Let's give him another try. Yep. We we want a hit album. That seemed to be there. Yep. So apparently Jim, uh, did you look at the writing credits on the songs on this album? I did. Magini, 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 Magini. Yep. <laughs> This is maybe the first time that Jim wrote every single song. And uh, Rob uh, assisted on four or five songs. Yep, Rob's in there with Golden Age and Capricornia, Lurch Away, Under the Overpass, and World That I See. So, yeah, yeah. he's there for almost half of them. That, that's right. And then Pete uh, worked on the lyrics, only the lyrics, apparently, for about four for i think four of the songs in in the final cut so apparently jim had this big body of songs that he had been hanging on to for a number of years and this is this is kind of the the bedrock the capricornia ish bedrock of the album you're talking about yeah that's that's the idea that so capricorn we've been mentioning it recently but capricornia is a book by xavier herbert i Uh, almost called him xavier roberts oh he's the cabbage patch kid guy right is he? I think so. Oh, cool. But the Cabbage Patch Kid guy did not write this. This is the great Australian novel written by Xavier Herbert. Yes, in the 30, 1930s. Yes. And it was a really progressive book in a lot of ways. Sure. Uh, well, it was it was set in a fictional part of Australia. We're going to talk about more later, but yep. well, just the relevant bit. It's uh, like a fictional part of northern Australia, the less... I want to say civilized, but the less sure, it's, what it's the frontier, the frontier. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, and it deals with people coming out to make it good, um, to develop the land. It deals with, um, yeah. Europeans and aboriginals and their interactions and yeah. their working together. Yeah, and, and interestingly, a number of Asians there as well. It's not yeah, just for sure. So it's all these different immigrants. Yep. Uh, but certainly the Europeans seem to have the upper, you know, on this class system yep. with the, the white Europeans at the top. So the book um, itself. Yes. The book itself is, if not inspiration, it's both the, the place and the people, even if the, the novel wasn't so much directly like, let's take this story and turn it into songs. Yeah. It definitely but, informs a lot of the, the thinking. Yeah. And as Darren and I both read the novel more and more of the lyrics felt like they were part of the world of this. Definitely. Well, that, that brings up a thought. Okay. So I want to talk about a pub with no beer. Okay. But first let's talk about, there were different releases of Capricornia. Yeah. And so the one we got in North America. The Liquid 8 Records version. Yeah. From Minneapolis. Yeah. Uh, included... Say your prayers. Say your prayers from the real thing. And yes. I guess the logic there is say your prayers maybe was, they considered it to be the best song on real thing, the best yep. new new one. And real thing wasn't released officially in the States. So they inserted it. Yeah. Yeah. And then the Australian release was just the 11 songs. And uh, that's how we're going to approach And that is how we're going to approach it. In yeah. the podcast. That's right. But apparently the European release mm-hmm. included two extra songs. One that I had only heard of just this year. I had heard of Pub With No Beer. Yes. But I had never even heard of Kiss The Girl before this year. That girl. Kiss That Girl. Yeah, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, I'm not f- very familiar with it at all. It's a neat sounding song. It's got neat guitars and stuff, but I guess the subject matter... They decided not to go for it. Yeah, it's kind of like throwing a, a gun barrel highway on the end of diesel. <laughs> Just how, doesn't fit. How how can gun barrel highway not fit diesel? It, you know what? It, it does. It fits quite nice thematically. Thematically, yeah. 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 
musically, okay, maybe it's a it's a bit of a departure, but Kiss That Girl fits in musically okay. Yep. But yeah, if if it really is like, what is this a love song? What is this about? So much promise, fall in love, first time, red petal lips gonna make you cry. Now if you kiss that girl, you can lose the night, everything you got. If you kiss that girl, if you kiss that girl, you can lose the world. You can shut up, shut with everything you got. Presumably kiss that girl. Kiss this girl? Kiss, kiss the that, girl? That girl. Kiss That Girl was recorded in the Capricornia sessions? Yes. Yeah. yeah, apparently it really was meant to be a Capricornia song. Yep. Uh, Jim had heaps of songs, and he called Rob and Martin over to hear their ideas and play around with some of the new material. Uh, then they included Bones. Mm-hmm. Uh, then Pete started messing around with the lyrics from Jim and Rob's songs. That's basically how they, they were doing it. They Then they went to the... Festival Studios in Sydney. Yes. Where down by the old fish market. Ah, where if anything needed to be rewritten, like Kiss That Girl, it was done on the spot and in a generous and collective spirit. Hmm. Anyway, Kiss That Girl wasn't included because it just seemed to not totally fit. But a pub with no beer seems like a really weird song to some people. Like it's a Okay, is this that is it Slim Dusty? Yeah, yeah, let's talk about that a little bit. So it was made famous by Slim Dusty. Yeah. And he's basically Australia's, like, we've got Stomp and Tom Cotton. Well, we had. Yeah. And they had Slim Dusty. Sure. So, oh, yeah, okay. Diversion, diversion. <laughs> Stomp and Tom Connors, our Australian listeners have probably never heard of him, but basically he's he's the Canadian Slim Dusty. And his huge hit, Darren? Um, something about the potatoes and PEI. Don't know. I'll tell you. I'll tell you. I've been everywhere, man. Nope, that was a cover he did. You're going to revoke my citizenship. That's to, to do with a sport. Oh, the good old hockey game. Yeah. Yeah, that, I guess that. I guess that is his big I, one. I think yep. that's his really big one. Yep. I mean, he had lots. But yeah, the good old hockey game. And it's the best game you can name. You, and the best game you can name is the good, good old, old hockey, hockey game. game. What brilliant lyrics. <laughs> no wonder it's a Canadian classic. No wonder. Yes. Yeah. So, so anyway, Slim Dusty is, is the same kind of guy, kind of this country folk kind of guy yep. with these, uh, simple songs with down to the earth, down to earth, bit this, of humor in them. Yep. Yeah. And just to give credit where it's due, written by Gordon Parsons, based on a poem by Dan Sheehan. And it was anyway, it was 1957. Okay. So it's an old song. Now, do I recall having a a version of Pub With No Beer recorded by the Oils from one of the cassettes we got off the old Powder Workers Usenet group way back in the early 90s. The timing might have been right because I, I think they actually recorded a Pub With No Beer back in like 98 or so. Okay. And it went on this tribute album to Slim Dusty. Hmm. Okay. But then they shoved it on... Capricornia, the European release. Okay. So Pub With No Beer was like a number one hit back in the day. The first Australian, Slim Dusty, to have an an international number one hit. Good for him. Yeah. And it was big even here in Canada. Apparently there was a big beer workers strike in 1958. Oh, yeah. And that song caught on down in like Hamilton or whatever. Well, there you go. Wherever the big beer strike was. Okay. Okay, let's get back on You want to get back on top, but but what I want to say is that, yes, this seems like a novelty song, but can't you imagine a pub with no beer happening in the Capricornia universe? Oh, totally. Doesn't it actually really fit the theme of the album? And in fact, there's a scene in the novel. Yeah, I'm thinking like towards the end when the guy had to... When when all the workers... Now, this is something we're going to have to talk about Yeah. when it comes to book club. Yeah. How much of the actual book are we going to talk about without giving things away for people yeah, who we'll want to hear about it, but haven't finished reading it or haven't picked it up yet? Spoiler alert. Yeah. yeah. Well, we'll have to figure that out. But I guess I want to say that A Pub With No Beer basically matches that scene. Yeah. Almost. It, it could fit in. Yeah. It could happen in Port Zodiac. That's, yeah, that's right. Then the swaggy comes in, smothered in dust and flies, throws down his roll. And rubs the sweat from his eyes And when he's told he says What's this I hear? 
I've trudged 50 flaming miles to a pub with no So back to the studio. Yes, they did tons of rehearsal so that they could do the recording without overdubs. They just wanted to get the drums and guitars and the bass and Pete singing in a room and to get the band to try to find their way back to what they sound like live without the production and gimmicks or gizmos. No gizmos. It sounds kind of like what they were hoping to do with both Earth, Sun, and Moon yep. and Breathe, yep. except maybe especially in Breathe's case, it's not how they sounded in a concert. They were trying to bring the sound back. Like, this is what the band really sounds like when we play live. There's a a moment when Jim says, you're going to hear me over there. You're going to hear Martin over there. You're going to hear... Bones down at the bottom. Bones up, yep. Rob all over the place. all over the place. (laughs) And there's Pete singing right in the middle. Yeah. And that's, that's how... This is going to sound, we're not going to do anything fancy. Yeah, he said he want, they wanted to keep it very simple. They didn't want to overcomplicate it. Yeah. Yeah. Rob was also saying that, that they wanted to be able to take these songs and play them live. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and apparently they did a lot of, of, I don't know if you would call it workshopping, but before recording, they were playing these songs live in concert yeah. just to see how they work and, and to kind of get the collective band around it. Yeah, and that kind of goes with the idea that Jim's had these songs for a long time yep. and, and, yeah, that the band was playing them together live. Something neat about this Festival Studios, uh, you may have touched on it briefly, in Sydney, this was uh, a classic studio with a lot of, uh, Australian hits recorded there, a lot of important Australian music recorded there. The desk that it was mixed on, that Capricornia was mixed on in this festival studios is from the 1950s. And apparently Rob says that either the Oils were the last or the second to last band to record on this console before they moved it up to Byron Bay or something like that. But this was like a real analog mixing desk that they were doing all the work on. So just getting back to that authentic guys in the room, laying it down on tape without the gizmos and without the whiz-bang production. Rob was talking about how they'd record two and a half albums with Warren before. Yeah. uh, Diesel, Blue Sky Mining, and then half of, roughly half of... Redneck. uh, Redneck, yeah. yeah. There's a real emphasis in the book about how... Warren's really big on vocals and uh, that he works Pete harder than any other producer. All the other producers would let Pete walk in. Shout his stuff out. Shout his stuff out. and Make up some lyrics. Yeah, and, and he'd walk out and Warren was concerned with things like pitch. Phrasing. And phrasing and all this. So Pete seemed to, he seemed to have the right attitude, at least in hindsight, yep. like I'm not sure he really appreciated Warren working him so hard. I seem to recall when we were talking about maybe Blue Sky Mining, that we had found that Pete actually did appreciate Warren making sure that he got things like pitch and phrasing and meter right, because he recognized it just produces a a better sounding product. Yeah. And there's nothing unauthentic about working Working hard hard. at your craft. (laughs) Yeah. And that's interesting, too, saying that, because... Remember, for the Earth and Sun and Moon sessions, it seemed like the guys really enjoyed just getting into the studio, working, putting in the time to get things done right. Yeah, that's there. And Warren seemed to really appreciate uh, working with Bones because not only does he have the with the singing, the higher register, mm-hmm. uh, but also he's quite strong, even though his voice sounds very different when he sings in the regular manly range whatever you want, yep. what do we want to call that baritone like your reg- yeah yeah like his his regular range is is quite good too and so he was appreciating warren really liked having all the guys actually there's a shot of rob and jim and, and bones. jim and bones yeah. all three of them singing together yeah each with their own mic but arranged kind of in a triangle so let's really work on these harmonies and warren liked having that extra tool the guys really seemed to trust Warren. Uh, it came through in the interviews as well that, you know, they were confident having him back there. In addition to being a good engineer kind of guy, um, a good recording kind of guy, they really appreciate his musical abilities, his mm-hmm. his abilities to arrange as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And he's actually given a credit, all songs arranged mm. by Warren 
and Midnight Oil. Can I ask you how you like the bass work on this album? Well, yeah. Okay, so I was saying kind of I wasn't too happy with what Warren got out of the bass during earlier albums. Especially Diesel and Blue Sky Mining. Both of them are disappointing in the bass. Yeah. And it's... um, It's not that the guys played poorly. No. It's not that it was recorded poorly. It just isn't very inventive, maybe. Yeah, yeah. That's right. And that really got solved on this album. And somehow, I don't know if they convinced Warren that, hey, we really need to record the bass at the same time as the drums Mm -hmm. or because they came in thinking we're going to do this together in a room, you know, for whatever reason, I I think I did read that Bones wasn't always really tracking his bass at the same time that he would do his bass on its own later, but because they were jamming out the songs ahead of time, they knew what Rob knew what Bones Yeah bit was going to sound Bones like. Bones had worked his, if a bassist yeah. is there from the beginning, he carves out his own space yep. in a song in a different way than if the bass is an afterthought. Or mm-hmm. for that matter, if guitars are recorded first to a click track and then the drummer's expected to add them in after, the drums become a bit of an afterthought. There sure. isn't that room for them. So yeah, I'm really happy with the bass playing on Capricornia. Is it, were, were you thinking it's oh, good? Oh yeah, I, yeah. Was, I was noticing neat bass stuff all oh, over yeah. the place. Yeah, so Bones is really at his, I think, at his best. I think he's actually better. Earth, Sun, and Moon, he was given lots of space to, to lay down yep. those grooves. But overall, his playing on Capricornia is, is the best of any. Uh, all kinds of good melodic stuff. He's got the slides, but he's also got lots of melodies, lots of hummable stuff. I'm a fan. One other thing Rob mentioned, why they settled on Warren. And one thing was Warren's continued to work all oh, this yeah, time. Oh, yeah, that's right. So he's still up with the technology and how things are done these days. He's up with the times. At the same time, Jim made a comment that we don't really care what an album is supposed to sound like in 2002. We're just going to do our thing. So technically, Warren can record with the latest software and 1950s mixing desks. Yeah. <laughs> but the band is just going to make what they want to make. Yeah, that, that's what it sounds like. When you were mentioning the recording of the bass kind of changed in Earth and Sun and Moon so that bass and drums could be recorded together to get that groove so that everyone could find their, their spot. Yeah. Um, I was reminded that I found that the drums on Capricornia reminded me of the drums on Earth and Sun and Moon as well. Not incredibly flashy stuff going on here, but real solid working man drums kind of things. Rob is getting the job done. He's playing very solidly. And there's interesting drum stuff in just about every song, but not the flash from some of the earlier albums. He's just doing it right without being a show off. He's serving the song. He is. There are places in this album that really groove, and mm-hmm. Rob and Bones really work together to make some fun stuff happen on this album. Yeah. There was also a DVD release of this. A DVD release? Yeah. This DVD release, it's a 5.1, a DTS. I think it's like surround sound, right? 5.1, yeah. where you got your different channels. So that kind of technology forces it to be remixed and they have to choose where to put every track every sound spatially oh cool it would be neat to hear if you really get jim over on this side and martin on the other eh? yeah that's right yeah like even more than just a stereo you know we've got a regular stereo mix where you listen left and right ear uh but to sit in a room and feel like things are in front of you beside behind you Get in touch with us if you've heard it and tell us how it sounds. Yeah, and I don't even know if it works on just a regular DVD player or if you needed like a special audio DVD Hmm. player. But anyway, I just want to mention that that was like, it's kind of a weird release that's out there. So Darren, how about that tour for Capricornia? So we saw them in 2002 in the spring, summertime? We saw them there in Winnipeg. And I think we've mentioned before on the show, but I would actually be happy to see Midnight Oil, if I could sit down and have a really good view of the band. Which is what we thought we had. But, as it turned out, that concert was the most dull, kind of depressing of all the Midnight Oil concerts. Okay, I've only been to five. Yeah. 
but it was the fifth best that I've seen. Yeah, it was live the fifth, as well. That's right. It was the fifth best concert. The boys seemed tired, and they actually seemed old, even though they, they were seemed, fifteen years younger. They seemed older then than they seemed this year. Yeah, bizarrely. Not they didn't have the energy. No, they didn't have the enthusiasm. We saw them maybe a year or two earlier. Yeah, in Minneapolis. Apparently, only months earlier. That was during the Real Thing tour. But of all the Midnight Oil concerts, okay, they retired. The audience was just sitting back. Yep. We weren't giving anything to the band. No, we weren't. And the band wasn't giving much to us. Yeah, when Relatively, I, think, when I it wasn't... think about how I did not participate in that concert, yeah, that's, yeah, it totally makes sense. Because when we were at, I think it was at the Quest in Minneapolis, Yeah, it was a much more exciting concert. Yeah. And we were standing up and... I think we were like maybe two or three rows back from yeah. the front and it was, it was a good time. Yeah. Yeah. We had a good time. The band was, there was lots had of yelling yeah, and it, shouting and singing and. It, I want to make it clear that I'm not blaming the oils anymore. Like the venue, the crowd, the crowd. And I think they were tired and maybe oh, yeah. they knew, maybe everybody knew Pete was gone at this point. Pretty much done. Yeah. 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 So. Our experiences. In the Capricornia area. Era. Era. Welcome to <laughs> Comfortable Place on the Couch Book Club. It's the book club. Yay. Bonus points for anybody who actually read the book so that they could listen to our discussion on the book club. Or just you've read the book. Bonus points to you. Yeah, good for you. And even more if you can remember anything from it. Right now, I don't think I can remember anything, Darren, so... I'm going to ask you to lead the discussion. Not a problem. Robin, when was the last time you read a novel that included a half dozen pages of principal characters before the novel actually starts? Yeah, Just you, in case you get a little bit confused as you're reading the novel as yeah, to who's yeah. who. It's all like indexed McCrook, police trooper of Melisande River. Yeah, it's something else. It's like... Page after page of these different characters. Before we start talking about it, okay. some ground rules. Yeah. Let's just say, dear listener, if you haven't read the book and you don't want to be spoiled, you're taking a risk. Yeah, we're, we're not going to go out of our way to spoil anything, but it could happen. For somebody who's thinking about reading this book, um, at times in my life I've read a lot. Mm -hmm. I've also had years where I may have not read like a single book okay. in an entire year. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I read yes. all the time, but not sitting down and reading a novel. Yeah. That has happened. Oh yeah. But this year I've read somewhere a dozen or 15 books, which Good is job. a lot for me. Yeah. Darren is what? 40? I'm at 45 right now, which is, oh, wow. is absolutely nutty for me. Yeah. Yeah. That's, but this year I've been reading. Yeah, so like a book a week, all year long, pretty near. I am I am aiming for that. Yeah. I've fallen behind, and I'm probably not going to hit it, but... Yeah, well, that's yeah. what you're shooting for. So I've been reading the book a month, a bit better than a book a month. So with Capricornia, our edition has this, to me, a kind of a bizarre introduction. Did, what, do you remember reading this introduction? And Yeah, I remember reading the introduction. I yeah. remember them talking about, you know, this book is talking about a, a brave new way forward with the mixed races of Australian Aborigines and the European settlers. And not that it's going to create like this master race type thing, but a great new country could be created um, by getting over the whole, I can't marry your type of people. We can't have mixed race babies. Yeah, type getting thing. over the black and white thing. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I guess that's what he was getting at. It it read like a strange thing, but you know what? Maybe, maybe I it, should... It did read a little bit goofy to me, too. Yeah. The idea behind it, like when we say it, seems, well, that seems oh, like yeah. a nice normal thing. That like, seems like a very good yeah. summary. The way it's said in the introduction strikes me as odd. Yeah. But I was kind of like, oh, no, what am I getting into? And then I was looking at the page count, 570 pages. Yep. And then I started reading the book... And, oh yeah, and then that principal characters, I thought, boy, oh boy, here, 
how many characters i'm really bad with names to start oh, yeah. with and yeah. then the book started off fairly painful i thought what am i getting myself into but then when i got through 50 or 100 pages or something like that yeah. all of a sudden i started actually getting quite interested in it yep and i was happy to read uh every day you know until mm-hmm. i finished all 570 pages trains figure prominently in this book they sure from do. time to time yeah and for me the book was a little bit like a train as well it took a while to get going but when it started going and started picking up speed you just couldn't stop it i couldn't stop it um i think when we recorded the real thing i don't even think i was 100 pages into it wow yeah i was and then i knocked off 400 odd pages in about 3 days yeah, i'm not amazing. a fast I'm not a fast reader. I spend a lot of time reading. Yeah. But like, especially the last, I would say third of the book, half to third of a book, it was just, yeah, I'm just turning these pages. It was a real page turner. It was. Yeah. And things happened that I did not expect. Like right down, like I think the la- as I was finishing it, yeah. maybe Thursday night, I sent you a few texts yeah. as I was going through it, yes. telling you where I'm at and here I'm at. And then at one point it's like, this person is not who I thought this person was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, some real good surprises. There were genuine, there were moments where I feared characters would die. Yep. That I did not want to die. Yep. Like I actually cared. Yeah. Let's talk about a little bit about the plot, at least at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. So the the book starts with two brothers. Mm-hmm. The Owen, Shillingworths. The Shillingworths, yes. Yeah. Owen, the older brother. No. Not Owen. Oscar. Yes. Oscar and Mark Schillingworth. It doesn't matter what their names really are, as long as you know who they are in your head. Oh, yeah. Yes. Especially so, for Oscar, pod- Owen, whatever. That's especially true for podcasts. <laughs> or if you're trying to talk to other people about things. <laughs> so Oscar, the older brother, and Mark, the younger brother, Yeah. Um, they live in the south of Australia, Yeah. and they move up to Capricornia, Yes. which is basically Queensland, North Queensland. Yeah, we assume it's North Queensland. Uh, it's not entirely clear that it's the east, but I think it must be, right? I think it must be too. Um, yeah. They move up to this location that is uh, pretty close to like Papua New Guinea and stuff like that. Yeah. It seems like you could get on a boat and get there relatively quickly. So it would yeah. put you in that region. Yeah, that's right. I think it, I think you're correct. The so, Northeast. So this is frontier land in, of Australia in the, um, I guess they would have moved there in either the very late 1800s or the very, very early 1900s. Yeah. Because uh, the First World War takes place um, during during the novel. So they move up there um, and they are going to make something of themselves up there. Oscar ends up working for the government, um, gets a good job, becomes quite the man, hobnobs with the, the rich and famous as far as there are rich and famous people up in in this, uh, seemed like a small town at the beginning of the novel, turned into somewhat of a, of a thriving mini metropolis perhaps by the end probably not a metropolis yeah. but a a small city yeah it's, by the end it's with cars and everything ways. going around yeah mark on the other hand just never really seems to to find his place mm-hmm. he ends up working for the government i believe at some in some capacity and then for the railroad in another capacity and then eventually he just kind of strikes out on his own meets up with some folks and, and tries to, you know, start some legitimate business enterprises <laughs> yeah. with them. Now, th- this book is surprisingly adult. It is. In nature. Like, it, it's it's something that I would not encourage my kids to read. Not your younger kids. Not my younger kids, yeah. Yeah, and even my older kids would be like, hey, daughters, read this. I, I don't know how I, I would, yeah. I wouldn't push it. I also wouldn't attempt to forbid it. Yeah. What, what am I trying to say here? Okay, so Mark, while Oscar um, meets a young lady, gets married. White. A nice white young lady. Yeah. Um, actually, she's not that nice. Yeah. Um, gets married, um, has a child, 
Yeah, or two. Uh, yeah, two. Right? That's right. Yeah. Tragedy strikes. Yeah. Mark finds some other, how do you say this, tactfully? Well, this is the thing. This this book isn't... Tactful. Tactful. It just goes for it with... Yeah. So Mark <clears throat> doesn't fall in love with um, a, uh, a half, not a half cast, a woman who has an Aboriginal father and a, I think we believe an Asian... Yeah. No, an Asian father and an Aboriginal mother. Right. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Um, I think that's correct. Yeah. And she isn't part of nice society, if I can say nice in air quotes. Yeah. Yeah. So rather than nice, like society has arranged itself according to the white people's. Yeah. Yeah. And and there are rankings of people. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, th- this book is interesting. Like, it's it's one of those ones where people who wish to censor books, this seems like a book that must have, I never looked into that, but mm. must have had controversy its time. Yeah. In the same way that books from the U.S., books that deal with matters of race, frankly, yeah, sometimes get subjected to, you know, some people mm-hmm. want them censored. Sure. Because it's, it's uncomfortable. Yeah. But... I'd say that this book and those books aren't inherently racist. They're describing... Well, in fact, this book isn't racist in the fact that Mark doesn't really care for polite Southern conventions on who a white man should go to bed with, Mm -hmm. should even hang out with. Right. Um, it, It doesn't matter that he doesn't even shack up with her. Like... Guys in this novel just go sleeping around with these mixed race, in air quotes. I feel like I have to put air quotes around that every time I say mixed race. Um, Women who live outside of the main European communities up there. And it's not like this book says what Mark is doing is a bad thing. Other people in the book think what Mark is doing is a bad thing. Yeah. But this book doesn't portray it as that. Yeah. Um. What what do you think of the? Do you want to stay on the plot? But what? No, let's let's yeah. meander. Okay. What what's interesting is the narrator in this book. Who is it? This is a really strange narrator in this, this book. This is an omniscient narrator. The narrator hops around. Yeah. From perspective, like it, it'll from character to situation to yeah, and sometimes it will know the thoughts yep. and the motivation yep. of at least one of the people in the scene. Yep. So it's, it's different. I don't know. It struck me as being, it's not like reading Harry Potter where everything is from the point of view of Harry Potter. That is true. Like I didn't notice any Harry Potter (laughs) at all in this book. In fact, he wasn't there at all. Yeah. Yeah. So it is different than Harry Potter. You're right. This book portrayed the different casts of people. Uh, C-A-S-T-E-S, it kind of laid out the rankings from the most important to the least important. And so you've got the Europeans, the white Europeans up at the top. Then you've got your swarthy is a term that's used sometimes. (laughs) The Greeks and the Italians, a little bit lower down the ladder. Right. Then you've got the Asians next down the ladder. Now, We've got Aboriginal people, and then we have um, the term used in the book, and this may not be a term that is used in polite society, the yellow um, people. Can I say that? Maybe you should well, tell me not to say that if I shouldn't. Darren, I don't know if you should say it. Well, I, I the guess... The half-caste, our- the mixed race between <clears throat> black and some other uh, raced person. Yeah. So... You're, you're going down from white to swarthy white to <laughs> Asians. Yeah. Then you get the black Aborigines. Yeah. And then even lower than the black Aborigines are the mixed race people. Really? So the, the, the pure black Aboriginal is, is the top of, is, is that is, right? I, I believe they ranked higher than the mixed race because oh. Mark yeah. has a child with a mixed race woman. And he is a, I will put it in air quotes, a yellow-skinned person yeah, um, of mixed race. 
of super mixed race, I guess. Yes. And he's treated even worse than the Europeans are treating the Aboriginal people. No, I was feeling he was treated somewhat better. Well, as an individual, he was treated somewhat better because as a young child, he moved down south and he got an education. I think in the south, attitudes were a little bit different down there. Yeah, and that that is made clear that the south is a bit more accepting, a bit more progressive. But when he came back north as a young adult, yeah, he was he was treated worse. Yeah. I thought it, it still seemed to me that there's like the black boys and there's the the all black camp. Yep. Off over there. Yeah. And those those characters don't even get names. They don't even get throughout the book there are these all black characters and mm-hmm. the, the N word yep. is used at times in yep. this book. Yeah. So you're saying that you think Norman's it's only his family relations that raise him above. And his and the way he carries himself as well. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Okay, that, that's, that's what I was getting. Because yeah. like when there are there there's the other characters like Peter Pan and uh Talkie's mum. Yeah. Who married Peter Pan and I can't think of her name now, it starts with a C or a D. Yeah. Connie Differ. I, d- I don't even know if they had the option of going to the to the government camp for the black aborigines i think that they were just kind of no you you don't you don't even get to go there so it was because o'connor yeah took her in that she was able to really have anything Hmm. i may be wrong maybe i'm i'm wrong on this i've been wrong in the past occasionally anyway yeah this is a lot of discussion on right but no matter Who's right or wrong, there's definitely this, this cat, there's definitely a ranking of people. Mm-hmm. The the book explains it and uses all kinds of words that if we're going to be really letter of the law, you should not say yep. that word. There was what I thought was a cute word, but I also thought, you know what? I wonder about this word. And so I asked my mother-in-law, do you know what this word is? And she says, yes, I know what that word is. Is that a word that, that we don't say? And she says, yeah, you don't say that word. But it's a cute little word for the little, the little kids. The P word. I'm curious to see what a small black child, or can just mean very small Okay. in old English, but it's become, come to mean yeah. a black child and, and as an offensive yeah. word. Yeah. If we haven't already got to it, the point... As far as the plot of the of the book goes, Mark has a son with a half cast. Doesn't give him a name. His name is No Name. Yeah, No it Name. Get, it gets shortened to Nonim. He drifts back and forth between various people as as a really young as a as a baby and a and a young kid. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's quite a character in his youth. Oh, he's, he's like son. a wild terror, is what he is. Yeah. yeah. He's like kind of half raised by dingoes or something. Yeah. That he was just left. Uh, well, and that's that's good too, because dingo is a word that's used to refer to the white man. Mm. Right at the very beginning, you know, the dingoes came up north. Right. The predators, I guess, right? Yeah. 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 Anyway, so little young no name, non him. Yeah, non Eventually finds his way to um, his uncle, Owen, Mark's brother. Oscar. Oscar. (laughs) (laughs) Uncle Owen. (laughs) Uncle Owen. I want to go to Tashi Station and pick up some power converters. (laughs) Nanda makes his way to Uncle Oscar's place. And and this is where the book kind of got its hooks into me at this point, is when... Oscar reluctantly takes care of him and then grows fond of him, starts treating him as his son and comes to love the boy, changes his name to Norman. Sounds yeah. like no name, non-im. Non-im, Norman. Norman. Yeah. Raises Norman up alongside his daughter, Marigold. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting. Marigold has mixed feelings. Well, like Oscar, but especially herself, she's trapped between these two worlds, this idea of having uh, a mixed race brother mm-hmm. and treating him as a brother, but still being embarrassed by him mm-hmm. around her, 
her high society friends. Definitely as they grow older and they, they return back north as, yeah. as young adults. I guess the story kind of departs for a while at this point. Um, Norman grows up a little bit. He goes down south, gets an education. Yeah. Becomes all smart-like. Yeah, he becomes an engineer. I think he becomes basically a boilermaker. He works on locomotive engines. Yeah. Um, he knows how to fix them. He knows how to build them. He's an engineer in the truest sense of the word. Yes. There's lots of moments in the book. There are. And we can't talk about them. We all. can't talk about them all. So it's interesting uh, Norman proves how brilliant he is a couple times mm-hmm. uh, by uh, his dad's cattle ranch. That's yep. part of the idea here with ties in with Capricornia. Yeah. Uh, we're, oh, yeah. We're talking about the cows all oh, over. The, yeah. Why are there cows? What does cows have to do with Capricornia? Why are there cows everywhere? Yeah. And... Uh, that's right. So Oscar inherits, no, not really inherits, buys a buys. cattle ranch. Yeah. So his wife, who ends up leaving him, yeah. her parents are ranchers and um, Oscar sees opportunity in becoming a rancher himself. He's got the means to start up a ranch. Yeah. And his father-in-law encourages it, right? Yep. It makes it. But by the time I think he buys Red Ochre or, or starts it up, I think the proud foots, proud feet. Is that what their name? Pound Poundworths. Yeah, no, yeah, the Poundmores. The Poundmores. Right? That's the name. The Poundmores. It's like Proud Feet is totally <laughs> not the kind of name. The the Hobbits. Yeah. His in-laws are basically out of the picture at this point. Yeah. And so he does it on his own. Norman comes up, does a great job on the ranch. Yeah. Norman proves himself. They they originally thinking Norman should go back south, mm-hmm. but he keeps proving himself. And also a train breaks down in town and yep. Norman fixes it up and gets it going again. Yep. And so there, there's all the, the story goes all over. Like sometimes it's talking about uh, like labor situation. Mm-hmm. It's talking about like workers' rights all over the place. There's a few moments in the, the book that actually had me really laughing. I remember enjoying myself, like thinking this is really good yeah. a few times. Yeah. All this time, what about Norman's father? His actual father. That's right. And and so people are weaving kind of these complex lies and, and half-truths. There are lies aplenty in this book. Yeah. yeah and there are. big knot of lies. Yes. Yeah, lies on lies. And there's, you know, the towards the end, the book ends up in court with various people because of all these lies. There's, mm-hmm. there's, and so this book is full of things like... There's all there's fights, crazy fights, like oh yeah, fist fights, people getting killed, dying, murder. Yeah, there's yep. m- there's murder, real murder. Uh, there's accidental murder. There's trains running over people. Yeah, there's people going to court, and there's super lawyers that fly in. The shouter, the shouter. Yeah, yeah. There's this character who can come in and seemingly save anything. Um, you He's wonder, just a real smart lawyer guy. Yeah. They call and, him the shouter. And all those lies that built up kind of show up in the court cases, don't yeah. they? There's, yeah. There's two court cases. Yep. And while the prosecution is presenting its case, it's interesting. All these little pieces. All, all these lies that have been told and things that have been done to either keep the peace or to um, cover over somebody's shame. Yeah. Um, or to just kind of make something go away. And a lot of them throughout the story, you're thinking, oh, this is a reasonable course of action to take. Yeah, it, it's a lie. Yes, you're being dishonest, but it comes to the court case and it's all just backfiring on everybody. Yeah. And it, it's problem upon problem compounding things that are going on because of all these lies. Yeah, I found it quite good how the story weaves in and out through it's, it is multi-generational. I guess really it's two generations Mm -hmm. and it kind of feels like there's a bit more because of some of the people, there's these characters that you think might be minor that turn out to be so important, very important. Yeah. Yeah. And there are false identities. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's got lots of stuff. Norman's father, Mark at some point disappears. Yeah. He owns a boat. He gets into debt. He's working with these guys. Oh, they're going to, be fishermen oh they're gonna be pearl divers yeah oh they're going to 
be involved in criminal activities. Yeah, I, I like this idea, even though I, I wish we spent a bit more time on the boat itself. Mm-hmm. Okay, so in, in video games, <laughs> like mm-hmm. role-playing games, I love vehicles that take on a sense of kind of home. Yeah. So there's certain games where you get, like, maybe not a boat, but particularly an airship and RPGs. Sure. So you can kind of go, it's kind of like a house. A that base. F- that flies. Yeah. That's right, and lands in certain places, and it becomes like the base. You can go back there and sleep. And yeah. It's, yeah. So Mad Max has his car. Mm-hmm. And then there's other vehicles like the A-Team. They yeah. have their van. Scooby-Doo's mystery machine. Yeah. Although, do they hang out in the I van? No I know idea. they certainly drive. But yeah, anything that has that sense of place. So I wish the book spent more time in the boat itself. But I still love the idea that these guys have this ridiculous boat that lasts for, it seems like, decades. Yeah. The, that old boat's still around. Um, and they're just always trying to figure out how to make money with it. With the boat, yeah. With the boat. Them and the boat, it's it's us two bosom buddies. Yep. And we got our boat. Did you say bosom or boozing? I think it's boozing A little buddies. bit of both. It doesn't really matter. Legal, illegal. Oh, yeah. Whatever. How, how are we, we going to make some money Let's make some thing. money, yeah. How, how can we borrow? How can we cheat yep. enough money to get the old ship going again and take off? Yep. <laughs> and eventually they do take off. Yeah. Yep. They just leave they go north we're not sure exactly where they end up going but uh yeah they take off so yeah, norman's left without a dad yeah so it's interesting the the story really does shift focus so like at one time it's about these brothers yep then it just becomes about oscar for a while yep. then it becomes about norman for a while yep and that starts bringing characters back together again yeah people that we've met earlier that we didn't know that were going to be important yeah so. And there's even other times it, it leaves even those main families. Um, who's that guy who's like the army? He runs his family. He's got a big family. He's, he's yeah. the one who dies. O'Connor. Tim O'Connor. Tim oh, O'Cannon. Yeah, Tim. O'Cannon, yes, yes, that's it. O'Cannon. O'Cannon and his garrison. Yeah, mm-hmm. and how he's... O'Cannon's garrison. O'Cannon's mm-hmm. garrison. Yeah. Uh, so he's got this large family. He tragically dies and that breaks up his family. Yep. It sounds like he's pretty nasty to his wife. Yeah. But still appeared to be otherwise a good father. Yeah. Nobody in this book is perfect. No. Is anybody in this book a good example? From beginning to end? Yeah. No. Like, like, every, I, like all the characters are flawed. Yeah. I'd, it's very real in that way. I'd like to think that Oscar's a good guy, but does he? Well, at the very beginning of the book, he's not a good guy. He's yeah. he's he's being a, a good guy in the eyes of society, yeah, but he's, he's not a good guy. Right. Quite a few of the characters find some amount of redemption mm-hmm. or whatever, but there's still, it's at other people's expense. Like when, mm. when our main characters, uh, get away, spoiler, uh, they, they don't get convicted in court. Yeah. There still were some victims there. And, well, yeah. you know, yeah. yeah. Like the book closes on a very tragic scene. Oh yeah. As a result of more lies. Yeah. You know, deceit and, and hiding things. Yeah. 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 So it was a good book. And I, I guess maybe we should just figure out, I think as we go through the songs in the next episode, mm-hmm. we'll point out particular things that seem to be inspired by the book. Yep. Informed by it. Lyrics that reference the, the book. Yeah. So at the high level... Basically, this book has a very strong sense of of place, of the frontier towns, the small little outposts, like a a cattle ranch, and like the the O'Cannon. Yep, the mission on the island. Yeah, the mission, that's right. That we never got into. Uh, Out in the outback, like going for a bushwalk. Yeah, we never talked about. There's a big adventure that happens uh, out in the bush during... Oh, I didn't go for a walkabout. Yeah, (laughs) that's right. It's like there's a certain amount of shame or lack of, like... Going walkabout is like something that a white man should never do. Yeah. So yeah. So there's quite an adventure that happens in the outback. There's there's this uh, wet season yeah. and the the dry season yep. is a, a major factor. The railroad, the telegraph. Oh yeah, line. yeah. The railroad, and we talked about the train a little bit, but yep. how important that is. Uh, riding horses, the policemen. Yeah. Uh, 
the, the tracking effect, the effect of of the first world war yeah on australia in various different ways sending their boys over to fight um the cattle ranchers changing economics yeah. uh bust and boom kind of thing yep so capricornia covers it all yeah i was glad to read it yes probably not a book for everyone although the readers who are listening to this podcast would probably really enjoy it yeah if you've stuck through if if you care about what midnight oil is on about yeah then you will probably like this book yeah um in fact i think pete talks about capricornia just a little bit um, in the interview there as well, right? He was yeah, he's he, talking about, you know, how things that Midnight Oil has always been on about as far as Aboriginal issues, um, Australian-ness. Yeah, the um, land, the, the people. It's all in Capricornia. Yeah. And um, Pete was saying that when Jim was writing the songs and, and when he was helping to write lyrics for the songs, you know, it was informed the songs that form the bedrock of the album Capricornia yeah. are built off of these types of things that are are very much oils yeah. and very much um, in the novel. Yeah, and and Jim's original concept for this album and even his original version of it, which mm-hmm. I wonder if it may, may exist on demo tapes and so on, yeah. had more instrumental Oh, yeah. parts and and it would have been a very sprawling kind of epic yep. album but with uh I, i'm kind of guessing here ambient parts and sure. all kinds of stuff now warren and the band pulled it back towards more commercial mm-hmm. making it more rock more right, as opposed more pop. to the concept album yeah. it musically been, even yeah i think lyrics were thrown out mm-hmm. um Songs were somewhat thrown out, but still some of the melodies survived or whatever. But it certainly transformed through the band. It would be really neat to hear what Jim's full vision, uh, if Jim ever feels like making a solo (laughs) album. Boy, that'd be pretty cool. Oh, yeah. You know, and Jim's not afraid to go wherever Jim feels like going. (laughs) If you've listened to like The Color Wheel and some of his other solo albums he will (laughs) he is not concerned about making popular songs so jim we know you might be listening you might be yeah we know you might be we would love to hear i would love to hear. oh yeah capricornia the demos the the demos or or, just do it or just yeah whatever Yeah. yeah so in 2018 if an oils out now we really want an oils album in yes, 2018 we do. but if that doesn't happen we want you to go we want you to go there that would be so much fun yeah um just out of curiosity when you think about the songs on the album capricornia how many of them or what percentage of them do you think are you know either directly referencing or are influenced by or or draw some sort of inspiration even just a lyric here or there how how many of the songs do you think are touched by the novel? I'd guess kind of in the six or seven yeah. out of eleven. Yeah, I'm thinking kind about of range. That yeah, yeah. Some of them are are question like, is is this theme that you're talking about? Is it pulled directly from Capricornia, or is it just kind of an oils Australian kind of thing? Yeah. And then every once in a while, oh, but what about that lyric there? Yeah. Is that is that from the novel? I think it must be. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much for listening to the book club portion of the podcast. Yeah. Wow. You must be really interested in Midnight Oil and their influences and have a high tolerance for a couple Canadians sitting on the couch. And with that, it's time to close the book. All 567 pages of it. Yep. And say goodnight until next time when we'll be actually diving into the songs of Midnight Oil's Capricornia on Comfortable Place on the Couch, a Midnight Oil podcast. Remember, you can get in touch with us on the Twitters at Darren the Folds and at Robin Harbin. We have show notes available online at darrenfolds.com slash podcasts. And if you go there, you'll also find our comfortable place on the couch listener survey 
Thanks for filling that out, but we would like even more. Fill out that form, any part of it you want. It's only four pages long. It's a short four pages. Yeah. Yeah, some really interesting stuff coming out there. Like, I could tell you, in aggregate, who your favorite member of the band is right now, podcast listeners. So here it's a little secret for people who listen to the end of the podcast, Aaron. Okay. Just because you've listened all the way to the end? Yeah. Currently, December 12th, Rob Hurst has the lead by like two or three votes. Oh, Hurst. It's it's good. Wow. Well, I I don't want to tip my hand, but I don't mind. But if if you think that needs to be rectified and you haven't filled out the survey yet, you can do that. I don't think it's fair that you voted eight times, Darren. I didn't. I didn't even vote once. Oh. Ha ha. Yeah. That nose on the wall really disturbs me. Yep. You mention that every week. So, for Robin Harbrin, I'm Darren Folds. Good night. Good night. Yes. Willie's Bar and Grill is the book for you. Oh, what, the, who wrote that book, Darren? Rob Hurst wrote that book. He wrote a book. He's a drummer. They're not literate. Yeah. Well, Rob is. Wow. He's a real Renaissance man. He is. Yeah. Renaissance so, man. Are you ready? I am.